Yes. And while you guys are taking a seat, uh, before we jump into the message, I want to invite the kids to come up, and we're going to talk for a little bit, a minute, a little bit about uh, something that Jesus might want us to know. And if you're worried about coming up, there might be candy involved. So, just just in case. <clears throat> oh, all right. Aha! I see them coming. Awesome. Hi. All right. So I've got a question for you guys. How many of you guys like birthday celebrations? Oh, yeah. Okay. I see some hands. Does anybody have a birthday coming up soon? Anyone? Oh, I see one hand. Your mom's, and I see a hand. All right. Uh, My whole family, we have our birthdays in the summer, so we're going to have to wait for a while for our next birthday celebration. It's in June. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so we got summer birthdays up here as well. This is great. You guys know what it's like. You have to wait for a little bit. Uh, what is it that you guys like about birthday celebrations? Yes. Okay, you get presents. Yes. And? Time with your family. Yeah. Okay. Example. Oh, there's this like party for my sister, like her birthday party and her go away party, which is our moving party. And so, oh, like my friend Christian was there, and then a little later my friend Will was there. So I, so it's a real party. Sure, of course. That's right. So good problem to have. Too many friends, right? Yeah. So you get to see friends and hang out with them. Yes. One more. Okay. Family that's far away comes to visit. Yeah. So all the things that you guys are talking about are ways that people express at our birthdays that they notice us and they appreciate us, right? They love us. Jesus wants us to know that God notices and appreciates us as well. In fact, In his most famous sermon, he told a story about how if God cares for the birds that fly in the air and the flowers that grow in the field, then for sure he can care about us because we are more valuable to him than birds or flowers. He notices us, he sees us, he loves us, and he cares for us. But here's the cool part. He wants us to be people who let other people know that God sees them and he notices them and he cares about them. Um, have you guys ever done anything nice to surprise somebody before? Anybody? Oh, yes. What's that? On Mother's Day, you did something to surprise somebody. Okay. Oh, I see a hand over here. You jump in your brother's lap. Okay, yes. That's a good surprise, right? <clears throat> Last one here. Okay, so more Mother's Day surprises. Yes. Yes. Wonderful ways. People love it when we surprise them in wonderful ways. And they always react positively. It sounds like your friends and family members reacted well. So here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, As you guys head back to your seats, I want to give you two pieces of candy. Now here's the deal. The first piece of candy is for you to eat and enjoy. Uh, And it's a reminder to you that God sees you, he notices you, and he loves you. Then what I want you to do is take the second piece of candy, and I want you to give it to somebody else. So 
maybe somebody else in your family who didn't get to come up here, or maybe a friend of yours that you think would enjoy that. Because we want them to know that God notices them and he loves them too. Can you guys do that for me? I don't have any Sour Patch, but there's some really good chocolate. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a quick prayer, and then I'm going to have my wonderful assistant, Phoebe, uh, hand out candy for you guys. So can we pray for a second? All right. Dear Jesus, thank you that you see us, you notice us, and you love us, and that you want us to be people who see and notice and love those around us. And so I pray that you would use even pieces of candy to remind us of those things this week and that you'd help us to be light and love in the, light, in the lives of the people around us. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming, you guys. Grab two pieces. All right. Well, Phoebe's handing that out. Let me get set up here. All right. So this might take a moment. So I'm going to get set up while they're they're getting finished up here. Um, we're going to continue our series this morning, uh, talking about the seven last words of Jesus, the seven last phrases that he said uh, when he was on the cross. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning, on the surface, might seem like it doesn't have anything to do with uh, the experience of Jesus on the cross. Uh, if, when Brett lined out most of the passages last week, you might have noticed that a lot of them have to do with uh, what Jesus was doing on the cross to die in our place for our sins and what that means for us. Uh, today's passage sort of feels like it doesn't really relate to that. But I think if we look a little bit deeper, what we're going to see is it actually does touch on a couple of the themes that were sort of embracing here in the Lenten period, uh, themes of loneliness and maybe abandonment or uh, just the whole valley experience we might be walking through. Thank you, Phoebe. Just put it on the chairs. You're great. (laughs) So let me read through uh, the passage real quick, and then we'll take a minute to unpack it. It's found in John chapter 19, uh, verses 25 to 27. And this is what it says. It says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So with all the passages that we're looking at in the series, uh, the setting is the same. Uh, the Romans have decided to execute Jesus uh, because they're trying to prevent a riot among the Jews, uh, even though they have not found Jesus guilty of anything warranting the death penalty. Uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of different forms of execution in the ancient world, and it's interesting because the, the Jews specifically requested that he be crucified. And I want to be careful here because I know there are kids, obviously, in the service this morning, uh, but this is kind of important to our passage, so let me see if I can describe it without going into too much detail. Um, crucifixion was the most horrible form of execution 
in the ancient world. It was designed to cause the greatest amount of suffering and pain before the victim died. And when the Romans initially started using it, they borrowed it from other cultures. Uh, Initially, they would only use it on slaves because they felt it was too horrible to inflict on Roman citizens. Uh, Eventually, over time, it did become used as a deterrent. And the idea here is that crucifixion took place in public places. It was uh, normally done either on a hill or near a road where people walking by could see what would happen. And the idea is that the Romans wanted any traveler coming in and out of the city or the citizens of the town to know that this is what is waiting for you if you commit similar types of crimes. So in today's passage, what we have is we have uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, having to stand by and witness her son experiencing this incredibly horrible uh, form of death. And as the passage tells us, it's not just her, uh, that she was not alone. Near the cross, we read, uh, stood Jesus' mother, uh, Mary, which is her name. We know that from other passages. Uh, And then at least two, maybe three other women. Uh, And let's see if we can figure that out for a second. Of the other names listed, Mary Magdalene is the easiest one to identify. Uh, She's mentioned in all four Gospels and was a regular follower of Jesus and his teaching. But the middle of the part of the sentence between Jesus' mother and Mary Magdalene is a little unclear. Um, it's hard to tell if there should be a break between his mother's sister and Mary, the wife of Clopas. Uh, in ancient Greek, they didn't use much, if any, punctuation. So sometimes uh, context is the only thing that we have to tell us what the meaning of the text is. And so I think we've got a, a picture of what... Uh, maybe Oh, yeah, there you go. There's, this is a passage from the book of John. Uh, and amidst all those characters that you can't identify, uh, occasionally you see a little dot between words, and that's the closest thing they had to punctuation. It kind of functions like a period. Um, <clears throat> so the issue here is, uh, <clears throat> is his mother's sister and Mary, the wife of Clopas, two different people, or is that just one long description of the same person? Uh, <clears throat> now, even the Greek construction of the sentence may indicate that there might be just three people here. I'm inclined to think that there are four, and most scholars think that that's the case as well. <clears throat> and so here's how it's going to work. Uh, well, actually, the reason, the reason for my thinking that there's four, uh, and I hope this will make sense to you. So if Jesus' mother's <clears throat> name was Mary, then it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for her parents to name her sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, also. Uh, I know that worked for George Foreman, the famous boxer who named, I think, all of his boy children George. Uh, But as you can tell from the passage uh, in ancient Israel, there were plenty of Marys already. And so naming both of your children Mary would be more confusing than it would be helpful. So that's why I think there's probably four people here. They're separate folks. So this brings up the question of who is this unnamed uh, sister of Jesus' mother? One common theory is that she is actually the mother of John, the apostle, who's writing the passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, And here's how the reasoning for her being John's mother uh, goes, which, by the way, so if John is the son of Mary's sister, then that makes Jesus and John cousins, which is interesting, and possibly helpful in explaining some of the action that goes on later. So let me walk you through this real quickly. Um, In the book of Mark, which is the earliest gospel that was written, 
uh, he lists the other three women in chapter 15 of his gospel as Mary Magdalene, who again is the easy one, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and Joseph, who would be Mary, the wife of Clopas in our passage today, and then a woman named Salome. In the book of Matthew, which is written later than Mark, and it's likely that Matthew had access to Mark when he was writing his account of Jesus' life, uh, Matthew identifies these women as Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, which sounds familiar, and then a third woman who he calls the mother of Zebedee's sons. So it seemed that Matthew was trying to clarify that this woman that Mark named Salome is also the mother of Zebedee's sons. And we know from all four Gospels that Zebedee was the son of James and John, the apostles. John is the writer of the letter that we're reading. Lastly, uh, John writes in his Gospel, he adds one more piece of information. Uh, He says that this third woman was the sister of Jesus' mother. So Salome is probably uh, the wife of Zebedee and his sons, who was also the sister, according to John, of Mary's mother. So this is how we get that John and Jesus might be cousins. Now, that might be the, not be the, the most tightest case for making that. Uh, there's a couple of scholars who think there's other ways to look at it, but I, I think it makes plenty of sense. <clears throat> so... It does give us a little insight into the action that happens next in the passage. And so let me read that again, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. It says, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. So most scholars believe that the disciple that Jesus loved is John, the author of the gospel. Uh, John was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. Uh, he was a wit- eyewitness to his life and his teaching, and so that's where a lot of his information is coming from. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> Jesus sees him standing next to uh, his mother, and that's when he says to John, here's your mother, and to his mother, here's your son. And unless you're familiar with ancient Jewish culture, it's probably not obvious what's happening here. Uh, So let me see if I can explain that real quickly. Uh, In the first five books of the Old Testament, which are often referred to as the law, God gives a number of instructions to the nation of Israel about how they're to live as a community of people in such a way that it shows the love of God to the surrounding nations. One of the ways that they were supposed to live in that way was to take care of the widows in their community, and there are a number of passages that talk about how to provide uh, food for widows, but there are also passages that talk about how to preserve land in such a way that it's handed from family member to family member down the generations so that future generations of widows are cared for. And this is important in ancient Israel because land was the place where people got their income. They grew their crops, it provided food for them, but it also allowed them to trade with others so that they could make money and take care of their families. In Deuteronomy 25, we read a a passage that describes this process, and it says this. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son that she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that the name will not be blotted out from Israel. So this is the way they pass down land from family member to family member over the course of generations. 
In Matthew chapter 22, we actually read a conversation uh, between Jesus and some religious leaders about this very topic. Uh, the religious leaders are trying to use this passage to trap Jesus into saying something that they think is wrong. And of course, in classic Jesus fashion, he turns the conversation on them and lets them see that their thinking is not correct. Um, the point of that is that here we are 1,500 years later, and this idea of caring, caring for widows uh, within the family is still something that's part of the culture that Jesus grew up in. And this is important because as far as we can tell from the scriptures, uh, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, probably died sometime between when Jesus was 12 years old. There's an incident recorded of his parents and him at the temple when he was 12, and the beginning of his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old. Uh, After that incident at the temple, there's no mention of Joseph whatsoever uh, in the Gospels. And so most scholars, especially in light of what we'll see in a minute, believe that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had died. And so that makes Mary a widow who is in need of care in her culture. So we don't have any record of any of Joseph's brothers coming in and swooping in and uh, taking Mary into her home and caring for her. And so it's very likely that Jesus, as the oldest uh, firstborn son in the family, would have had that responsibility of caring for Mary. And we see that Mary's present often at Jesus' miracles that he performs and at his teachings. And we're not sure if she traveled with him all the time or just some of the time, if there were other relatives uh, that she stayed with occasionally. We don't think about this very often. Uh, But Matthew 13 tells us that Jesus had at least four half-brothers and some sisters. So there were some siblings that maybe could have been a part of caring for Mary. But what's significant about what's happening in the passage here is that Jesus is very intentionally uh, entrusting the care of his mother to John, his beloved disciple and possibly his cousin. He knows that she's going to be needed to take care of after he dies, and so he intentionally provides for that in this moment. Uh, we're not exactly sure why he chose John. Uh, could have just been an issue of convenience. He was the guy standing nearby, kind of wrong place at the right time sort of scenario, and, and he got picked. Uh, but if they were cousins, then it could have been a case of he was the closest family member that was available, and Jesus picked him because of that. Uh, Whatever the reasons were, we do know that John took this charge to care for Mary seriously because the passage tells us that from that day on, he took her into his home and he cared for her. Now, like Brett said last week, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of the passage, uh, and it can be helpful to know these things, but the real question is, how should this impact us? And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes uh, talking about. So I think our first takeaway comes from looking at the passage from Mary's perspective. Uh, If you think about it, for Mary, she's living through the absolute worst day of her life, right? Her son, who had brought hope and kindness and peace to the people of Israel, is being brutally executed for crimes that he didn't commit, all because the leaders of the nation were afraid that their power would be taken away if more people followed Jesus and followed them. And so not only is this an issue of just grief at the loss of her son, but there's an injustice that's happening here too. It's, it feels wrong and not right, and it's got to be heart-wrenching for her. <clears throat> uh, last week, well, let me back up a second. We know that Mary uh, was a woman of great faith and trust in God. 
uh, when the angel of God first came to her and told her that she was going to give birth to a son who would eventually save the people from their sins, this was her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So as a very young woman, probably even a teenager, Mary was willing to trust God with a supernatural pregnancy and all the unknowns of raising a miracle child, okay? Now, some 33 years later, she's watching her miracle baby die. And the question is, how do you trust God with something like that? Last week, Brett uh, talked about how while I was on the cross, Jesus quoted the first line of Psalm 22, which reads, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And I have to wonder if in some ways that wasn't Mary's thoughts towards God at this moment also. After all that God had done to bring her son into the world, to protect him from people who would harm him, and even to bless people through his miracles and his teaching, how could God be letting her son die in such a horrible way and at such an early age? In addition to her loss over her son and just the whole sense of injustice that's going on, Mary was probably also wrestling with a very practical question of who was going to take care of her when Jesus died. Like I said earlier, we know that Jesus had some siblings, but we don't know a whole lot about them. The scriptures do tell us that uh, his brothers probably didn't believe that he was the Messiah that was promised until after his resurrection. But since that hasn't happened yet in the narrative, at this point, Mary's thinking, I don't know if those are going to be the best choices for someone to take care of me now that my son is going to be gone. So the amazing part of this whole deal is that in the midst of an incredibly awful situation, in the midst of her loneliness and her grief at losing her son, God speaks to her. He sees her in the person of his son. As he's slowly dying on the cross, Jesus tells his mom that John, his beloved disciple, the one he trusts, is going to care for her. In her darkest hour, God sees her, he speaks to her, and he meets a very real need that she has. And this is the first takeaway uh, for us this morning, is that even in our darkest times, Jesus sees us. He wants to speak to us if we'll put ourselves in a place where we can hear him. And he's at work to meet our needs, even if we can't see it. And we know that because this is the kind of person that Jesus is. So that's our first takeaway. The second one uh, comes from trying to see this whole narrative maybe from Jesus' perspective, if that's even possible. The thing that stands out to me, I think, the most in this account is that somehow, in the midst of excruciating personal suffering, which, side note, the word excruciating comes from a Latin word for cross, So when people used the word excruciating in the ancient world, it meant that there's a certain kind of pain that can only be compared to what Jesus experienced on the cross. And so as Jesus is going through this awfully painful experience, somehow he finds a way to think about somebody other than himself and even care for them. Now, I know this is one of those passages where you probably would say, well, yeah, but he was Jesus. And there's some truth to that. He, he was Jesus, and this might have been easier for him than it would be for us. But I still don't think this was easy uh, for Jesus. If he really is fully human, in addition to being fully God, as we talked about in our last series, 
This would have been every bit as painful for him as it would be if one of us were experiencing it. So if Jesus is supposed to be our example of how to live, then it raises the question of how are we to imitate him in this moment here? And I think mostly, most, of, most cases, human nature is such that when something really difficult or hard is happening to us, we have a tendency to kind of shut everything else out and just sort of focus on the problem that we're experiencing. And while I think a lot of times there's some value to that, uh, there's some recent studies that uh, have revealed and, or maybe we should say confirmed the idea uh, these were studies that were done at Ohio State University and Seattle Pacific University in the last five years. They suggest <clears throat> that when people are going through something difficult, uh, finding other people to serve or to help and meet their needs can actually <clears throat> make things better for them. It was shown that when people who are experiencing anxiety and depression found people to serve and help, that they actually experienced <clears throat> a lessening of their symptoms uh, and a better experience. And uh, man, if we had time this morning, uh, this is something that I, I know personally. I've had experiences with anxiety uh, about 25 years ago, and, and this was true for me on days when I would get out and try and find ways to help other people. I noticed that my symptoms were way less than on days when I sat at home and just thought about the things that were making me anxious. So <clears throat> I think <clears throat> what we're getting at here is that when things are hard for us, helping others can actually help us too. And if helping others is good for us when things are hard, like they were for Jesus in that moment, then they're probably also good for us when things are going just fine as well. So here's the other takeaway for us this morning. It's this, whether things are going well in our lives or whether they're really challenging, we have something to offer the world because of Jesus in us. And finding ways to help others will, in the end, both help us and they'll help make us more like Jesus, which is the goal of walking with him. So <clears throat> here's what I want to do to personalize a couple of these things that we've talked about this morning. Uh, when you came in, you're handed a purple sheet of paper, and it's not a mistake, but on it are written two instances of the verse John 3.16, and you'll notice that each of them has a blank in the place where normally the phrase, the world, is written. And so what I want you to do is grab a pen. I think there's some in the seat pockets in front of you if you don't have one with you. And in that first blank, I want you to write your name, okay? And this is a reminder to you that, yes, Jesus loves the whole world, but he also loves you specifically. I think that's what Mary might have experienced that moment when, in the midst of all that he's going through, Jesus stops and he focuses on her and he says, I see you, I care for you, and I'm going to provide for you. So that's the first blank. And then the second blank, I want you to write the name of someone that you know that you think could use to hear an encouraging word from God right now, that they need to know that God sees them and loves them. And as you're writing that second name, I want you to think about ways that maybe practically you could encourage them this week. Maybe it's a simple text message or an email to them. Uh, Maybe it would be setting up time to get together for them for coffee or something. Or maybe you know that they have an actual need that needs to be met. Maybe they could use someone to bring them a meal or help them with a a house project. Whatever it is, I'll leave that up to you. But the idea here is that we want you to think about somebody that you know needs to be encouraged, uh, that needs to know that God sees and loves them as well. And then when you're done writing, 
uh, those. I want you to pass those to the end of your aisle. Uh, our worship team is going to share a song with us in a minute, but the rest of the worship team members are going to come by and pick those up. And what they're going to do is they're going to set those at the foot of the cross, and that's going to be a reminder, a symbol to all of us of entrusting ourselves to the God who sees us and who loves us and who cares for us, whether things are going great in our lives or whether things are going really difficult. So go ahead and finish writing those out and pass those to the end of the aisle. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to hear from the worship team. Father, it is amazing to me that as Jesus is going through the most difficult thing he ever experienced uh, in this world, he found a way to see somebody else and show love and kindness to them. And I'm so grateful that that's a reminder to us that whatever it is that we're going through, whether it's good or difficult, that you see us and you love us and you want to speak to us and you want to meet our needs. And so, God, this morning I pray that uh, whatever it is that we're experiencing, that we would know that you see us and that you love us and that you're working our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Tell a story if my life would sing a song, if I have a testimony, if I have anything. Jesus, his faithful hand has held me all this way, and when I'm old and gray, and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known, in you alone, my joy was found. children tell their children let this be their memory that all my treasure was in heaven and you were everything to me Jesus, his faithful hand has held me all this way, and when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth, let it be known 
in you alone my joy was found mm, I found my joy center of my joy through it all it's changed Thank you, you guys. That was beautiful. Hey, a couple things before we head out this morning. Uh, first, there's a table on the way out that has some uh, Lent devotionals on it, and you're also going to find uh, a piece of paper with some discussion questions that are great for families, so I encourage you to grab one of those and take it with you as you go. Lastly, before we head out, uh, I just want to, <clears throat> just to kind of drive things home here, I want to I want to read a couple of these um, real quick. So, uh, so the first one, I'm just going to read the first names. It says, For God so loved Heather that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Heather, wherever you are this morning, God sees you, he loves you, and he's at work in your life. Uh, Ginger, I thought I saw Ginger earlier. God sees you, he loves you, and he's at work to meet the needs that you have. Uh, and lastly, Marty, God loves you, and he sees you, and he's at work in your life. New Cove, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a great week.